0: This is Asha Voices. I'm JD Gray. Today's guest says studying public health allowed her to reimagine her career as an audiologist and connect her work to larger communities.
1: It was like turning on a light in a room I was already standing in.
0: Here with Sarah Warren from the University of Memphis says she learned about the intersection of CSD and public health, which examines and influences the way communities and individuals can work together in pursuit of positive healthcare outcomes. She explains how public health frameworks can be applied to audiology and speech language pathology and why she's incorporating these concepts into the education of the next generation of audiologists. Plus, if you feel you're hearing more about public health in recent years, there's a reason for that. Sarah shares a brief history of healthcare trends in the US, and we hear how the COVID 19 pandemic increased awareness of public health concepts. I'm JD Gray, and this is Asha Voices. Support for ASHA Voices comes from the ASHA Learning Pass. Get unlimited access to ASHA's catalog of CE courses for one annual fee. Learn more at asha.org slash learningpass. Joining me is Sarah Warren. Sarah is an audiologist and an assistant professor at the University of Memphis. She's also the associate coordinator of ASHA Special Interest Group 8, Public Health Audiology. Sarah's written about integrating public health into education for audiologists. That's something she is doing at the University of Memphis, and we'll talk about that later in the episode. But to begin, I ask Sarah what the public health lens offers audiologists.
1: When I started my public health education, it gave me a different perspective. It was like turning on a light in a room I was already standing in. When I was trained as an audiologist, I was trained the way virtually all healthcare providers in Western systems are trained. It's known as the medical model. Well, the first thing you learn as a public health student is about the socio-ecological model. You can think about this model looking like rings on a tree where the center circle is the individual. And then that next layer, you've got interpersonal relationships, so family and close friends and the social circle. Um, As those rings get bigger, you're expanding the social surroundings and the environment. Like in the next ring, you have organizations such as schools and workplaces. And then you have the larger community and the rings are getting bigger. You finally have the government policies that affect the person's health outcomes, and then the society they live in. So when I learned about this model in public health, it really made me think about hearing speech and language and how that fits into this model. First, because of my medical model training, I started thinking about how these layers affected the person with communication disorder. These are things I knew intuitively from working clinically. So anybody who's ever worked with insurance, trying to get a policy to cover a service, or even a family that has significant barriers to care can see how each of those layers can affect the communication health of the individual. But then I started thinking about it in reverse. A person's communication abilities affects the way they interact with all of the outer layers. So if a person has a hearing loss, it's gonna change the way they communicate with their families or their experiences in the school or workplace, or even how they engage in policy and advocacy. So it goes both ways. A person's communication ability both affects and is affected by these surrounding social and environmental layers. And so it came to me really suddenly, it's a quote I use all the time now, my students would call it a warnism. Um, I started thinking about this word communication and that the word community and communication come from the same root word. Um, This Latin word, um, con meaning to bring together and munis meaning function or service. And so the root word has this idea of bringing things together for the function of service, both communication and community. And this made sense to me because when you have a breakdown in communication, You have a breakdown in the way you function in your community.
0: You shared with me a video you made for World Hearing Day. and In that video you say, quote, we aren't just restoring someone's hearing, we being audiologists, you say we're restoring a component to help them communicate effectively. Essentially we're restoring the way they can engage with their community, end quote.
1: Yeah and, and that's right and that's exactly what I'm doing. Getting a public health education made me realize that I'm not treating the hearing. We work to restore the way people interact with their communities. And I think that's what makes our field really special. Whether you're an audiologist or a speech language pathologist, there's something really special in the way that we communicate and we interact. And we've seen firsthand when people struggle to do that, it affects the way they participate in their communities. And then we also know the community has an effect on how people communicate in terms of, are there barriers to intervention? And when I reframe it to think that both audiologists and speech language pathologists are really working with people to help them communicate as effectively as they can, it changes the entire way I think about our field. Mm -hmm.
0: I'm going to read another quote from that video that really jumped out to me. You say, quote, public health is inherent to audiology because whether we realize it or not, we're working with more than just one person sitting across from us in the room, end quote. I thought that that was a really good point that you're not just working with one person. That's going to influence all the people they work with. And, you know, they may have a role in the community and their ability to communicate in that role could help someone else in another spot.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's right.
0: Correct me if I'm wrong. It does seem to be that there is a trend. There's increasing focus on public health.
1: Um, that's right. Do you, I, I got a long answer to that or a short <laughs> answer to that? Which one <laughs> do you want?
0: Let's hear the, I'd like to hear the long answer.
1: Okay. So to explain the trends we're seeing in public health, I'm just going to give you a general overview of health in the United States. I know that we all learn in our programs the history of audiology or the history of speech language pathology. All the audiologists are like, wasn't there something about a World's Fair or a state fair in Wisconsin? (laughs) Yes, there is, but it took... Becoming a public health student for me to see how we fit in into the larger picture. I'm just going to talk a little bit about healthcare in the United States. Healthcare started looking like modern healthcare around the Industrial Revolution, so the end of the 19th century, and germ theory emerged. At the time, healthcare delivery was fractured and unregulated. And then there was this Flexner report that came out that was really critical of medical care in the United States. And the result of this was a standardization and regulation of programs, and it became a hyper-rational approach to care. So this ushered in a new era of scientific discovery in physiology, biochemistry, and disease. And that really sets the tone for healthcare in the Western world for the next century. That's the foundation of this medical model that I've been talking about. So this medical model that the disease or the injury, that's what we're focused on. Less emphasis on social, psychological, or environmental factors, and more emphasis on the specific condition and the individual with that condition. As the century goes on, we see the establishment of specializations in different fields, again, just as an audiology or speech language pathology, there were a number of professions that emerged, special education, social work, physical therapy. And there are these organizations that came about to determine the qualifications to practice in each profession, define a scope of practice, establish a way to assure their domain in the area of expertise how to carry out a scientific program to build on this knowledge and create practice patterns. And so with speech-language pathology, this started with speech correctionist, And in 1925, the American Academy of Speech Correction is established. But the primary focus here is intervention. So the primary focus is people who have speech and language disorders and correcting that around the same time the field of audiology is emerging. It actually was emerging from a branch of experimental psychology, but it really wasn't until World War I and World War II that the professions really solidified in terms of rehabilitation. Again, we learn this in school, but we think about ourselves in isolation, but this was happening in physical therapy, occupational therapy, all of the rehabilitative fields are strengthening at this point because there was so much work to do in terms of rehabilitation with service members coming back. So in the public health world, we look at that era and we call that public health 1.0, that era from the early 20th century to the mid 1980s. This is when modern public health became seen as a governmental function. Uh, It became specialized among these different professions. Then around the 1980s, we shift into what's known as public health 2.0. So in public health 1.0, we have an expanded understanding of diseases and an expanded life expectancy. Now we're shifting our attention to managing chronic disease. People are living longer and we're moving into management. So at this time, speech-language pathology has a shift. It went from being defined in terms of form, syntax, and phonology into more content-based or semantics. So the speech-language pathologist is less like a coach and more likely to work collaboratively with their clients, again, in an intervention-type approach.
0: Around what year are we at right now?
1: This was occurring around the 1970s. So again, we're shifting towards disease management or condition management at this time. People are living longer. Uh, At the same time, audiology is having a boom in technology. Um, We're having advancements in digital hearing aids, cochlear implants, and something really special happens in audiology at this time. This is the era of Marian Downs making tremendous progress towards the Universal Newborn Hearing Screening Program, which is such an impressive public health program within our field that we often don't even think of as public health. So this is the first time out of this century I've been talking about that we really start doing prevention. I know we think about prevention as in preventing hearing loss, but... Remember what I said, it's it's not about the hearing loss, it's about the communication disorder. So by early identification of hearing loss, we can prevent those communication disorders later in life through the early intervention. This was a tremendous stride in audiology. This is public health that was occurring in our field. The original question was why are we currently seeing this increase of in interest in public health? And I'm finally getting to the answer of that. We are now shifting into a new era. I've talked about public health 1.0. That second era is public health 2.0. Now the field of public health is calling our current shift public health 3.0. This is our current state of public health. We're saying now that public health goes beyond traditional healthcare in a way that involves community, health equity, holistic care. Again, this goes beyond communication sciences and disorders this is a trend in public health that's overarching. I tended to think of communication sciences and disorders in isolation. And now I understand that we are a part of this larger health ecosystem. And I can say so confidently what I see in the future for audiology and speech-language pathology because I see what other fields are doing. I can see that medical schools are now requiring social and behavioral science questions on their MCAT. They're favoring applicants with public health backgrounds. They're integrating public health competencies into their training programs. It's not just med schools, nursing schools, dental schools, optometry schools. I think we're a little behind the curve on that. And part of what I'm doing in my career is trying to catch us up to that because I know that's where we're heading. I know that we're in this new era of Public Health 3.0, a different way of thinking about what we're doing. I can look back and say our field has followed the trajectory of other healthcare fields for the past hundred years, and that helps me see where we're going. I'm working to make sure that we get there.
0: In the second half of the episode, Sarah tells us about that work where at the University of Memphis she is providing paths for audiologists to incorporate public health training into their education. That's in just a moment. Support for ASHA Voices comes from the ASHA Learning Pass. Earn ASHA CEUs and stay current with the ASHA Learning Pass by accessing ASHA's comprehensive catalog of CE courses for one convenient annual fee. Choose from more than 150 audiology-related courses. Learn more at asha.org slash Sarah published an article in the ASHA Journal, Perspectives of the ASHA Special Interest Groups in 2021. That article is titled Public Health Frameworks in Audiology Education, Rationale and Model for Implementation. In it, Sarah wrote, quote, public health is present in the field of audiology and the field has many public health objectives. However, audiologists do not receive the training necessary to recognize public health concepts or meet population level objectives. Educating future audiologists and public health concepts will provide them with the tools needed to work with other hearing professionals to make population level advances in hearing healthcare. A subset of students may want to become experts in public health and wish to pursue a dual AUD-MPH track, end quote. Today, students at the University of Memphis, where Sarah teaches, can pursue paths that incorporate both communication sciences and disorders and public health. And in our conversation, she highlights suggestions she made in that article for incorporating public health into audiology education.
1: One is just integration of public health into the content we're already teaching so that every student gets it. What we do in our field, public health is already inherent to it. We could just be more intentional, more intentional about those frameworks, more intentional about what we're already doing that is public health. I think we could do a better job in that. Also in that article, I take the audiology competencies and compare them to the public health competencies to demonstrate there really is a good overlap of public health and what we're already doing. We just don't speak about it intentionally. The second thing I recommend is for those students who are interested in becoming experts in public health. We actually have two separate opportunities at the University of Memphis for that. The first is a dual AUD MPH, so the Doctor of Audiology and Master's in Public Health. And this was a program I designed with our School of Public Health so this program is designed for our students to be able to graduate with both degrees, the AUD and the MPH at the same time. It's been a very successful program. We've had two graduates so far. Next year, I th- we're gonna have four more. I see long-term for us three to four graduates with dual AUD MPH every single year. The second program that we offer is this graduate certificate for Public Health and Communication Sciences and Disorders. So this is a bit different. This is for either the student who says, I'm really interested in this, but I can't commit to another degree. Another person this might appeal to would be a practitioner who's already in the field and not looking to go back to school. The certificate could be for an audiologist or a speech-language pathologist or even an allied health person, say a teacher of the deaf. It's completely online, largely asynchronous. um, And this certificate is designed to give a person the essentials to have advanced knowledge about public health and how it could apply to both audiology or speech-language pathology. I've also developed a course for the certificate, Public Health and Communication Sciences and Disorders. As far as I know, it's the first course that integrates these two fields. It's been quite a challenge. I've never built a course completely from scratch before, but it's it's been really fun getting to imagine what I think are the most important things for our students to learn, to be experts in what I call communication health.
0: Yeah. Thinking broadly, what's your vision for students as they become audiologists and they're integrating public health concepts into their work?
1: The students who are coming to our program now are, they really excite me. I'm on the admissions committee and every year I see more and more students who are just naturally talking about things like health equity and community health. They're very socially aware. So I do think we're going to have an increase in the students who are interested in these opportunities. With the students who do get the upper level public health training, um, Some of them do plan to go into clinical care or are working in clinical care, but they do have the option for different opportunities. In the same way that getting public health education allowed me to reimagine my career, specifically my research career, it's allowed my students to reimagine their clinical career. So several students have said to me they're interested in hospital administration, program development. Uh, We had a local conference recently where we had presenters from the Tennessee Department of Health, and I had a couple of students say, wow, I'd really love to work at a health department with Eddie. Um, We had another presenter, Melanie Morris, and she talked about her mobile audiology clinic in rural Georgia, and several of our public health students said, oh, that's public health. Every year, I'm surprised with the way our students are applying their public health education to communication health. I can see these students doing things like program development and administration, epidemiology, dreaming up alternative service delivery models that right now seem like they would be difficult to implement. I think these are going to be the students that pave the way in doing that. Models such as telehealth or community health workers I can see these students working directly for insurance companies, working in policy and advocacy, organizational leadership. These are all skills that are really sharpened by public health education. And I think the students are going to be leaders in that.
0: We've talked about the trend towards interest in public health, but I kind of want to ask about other trends that are happening right now related to public health and audiology. When you mentioned telepractice, I was thinking of COVID-19 and how the pandemic changed the way a lot of us relate to public health issues in our own lives and as communities. How have you seen COVID-19 and the pandemic have an effect on audiology with respect to public health?
1: You know, that's really interesting. I was already a public health student when COVID-19 set in, and it was a very interesting time to be taking courses in public health. One thing has changed is everyone knows what an epidemiologist is, and they didn't four years ago. I found myself explaining that one quite a bit, but people seem to get it now. People seem to get prevention and intervention and even community awareness, people being aware of how communities keep each other healthy. I think that it's been a change in the mindset of how we approach health. So one thing that we heard often in the pandemic is about the face mask, that that was difficult for even people either with typical hearing or people who had hearing difficulties but not to the degree that they would seek intervention are suddenly having significant barriers to communication. I think it made people more empathetic to people who had communication disorders. I think people with communication disorders struggled in COVID-19. They struggled with communications. They struggled with isolation. That was really challenging. Another thing I think about when I think about COVID-19 is vulnerable populations. That was something we heard a lot. The populations that were most at risk of COVID-19 I was able to tie those conversations of vulnerable populations also to what we do. So I could ask the question of, what are some barriers to getting the vaccines? And the students could talk about, well, here in Memphis, we found that the vaccine was more available in high-income communities than it was low-income communities. And people in low-income communities had to wait longer in lines than in the high-income communities. I said, "Okay, yes, that's correct. That happened. So let's talk about, do we see that? in hearing healthcare, well, yeah, there's not audiology clinics in rural communities or in low-income communities, in the vulnerable communities. It made some interesting correlates and, and gave us different perspectives to talk about things that we've already observed. It's just that redundancy of seeing it in another way or hearing it in another way that drives the points to the students.
0: Sarah told me she thinks a lot about access and outcomes. Those are the issues that led her to the field of public health. She highlighted the number of people who could potentially benefit from a cochlear implant and don't have one. At the end of our conversation, she shared a short anecdote to highlight the change she wants to see.
1: Last year, I was at this conference I love, specifically a conference for people who work with cochlear implants. And at the conference, I kind of started this thought experiment where in social situations, I would just ask people, audiologists, speech language pathologists, ENTs, deaf educators, just whoever whoever was at the hotel bar hanging out, I would say, what do you think the field of cochlear implants will look like in 10 years? So these are leaders in the field of cochlear implants. And they said things you might expect people who work in cochlear implants to say. They said things like better technology that will result in better speech understanding and noise or technology for music perception. A couple people talked about uh, like an improvement in the device itself or surgical techniques, maybe diagnostic tools. So I know this was just like a convenient sample of like 20 people or so, so like don't extrapolate anything from this. But I was really surprised that I asked all of these people from different points in the field, and nobody said the future of cochlear implants is a future where anyone who qualifies for a cochlear implant and wants one has reasonable access to a cochlear implant. Again, we know that only about five to 12% of adults in the United States who could benefit from a cochlear implant have one and even being at that conference that's promoting research and advocacy and awareness, the thought leaders are at the bar talking about surgical technique. (laughs) They're talking about improving speech perception. I think that shows you where we are as a field. We're still thinking about the discrete. We're still thinking about the medical model and the individuals in front of us. I'm saying, let's think bigger, let's think differently. Let's expose ourselves to this public health way of thinking about things, and let's have an imagination about what our future can be, a future uh, of access, a future where, and, and not just in cochlear implants, in the whole field of communication sciences and disorders, let's think of a future where everyone can communicate as effectively as they can. And that's what I think integrating public health into communication sciences and disorders can do for us.
0: Sarah Warren, thank you so much.
1: Thank you. It was a pleasure talking to you.
0: Find links to episodes about public health and CSD on the blog post for this episode at on.asha.org/podcast. Asha Voices is produced by the American Speech-Language-Hearing Association and comes from the team behind the Asha Leader magazine. Support for Asha Voices comes from the Asha Learning Pass. Access more than 150 audiology courses for one annual fee. Learn more at asha.org/learningpass. I'm J.D. Gray, and this is Asha Voices.